Saints Matthew and Mark in their gospel accounts tell us that Jesus started his ministry essentially right after his temptation in the wilderness, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. St. Luke doesn't record the kingdom of God is at hand words at this point. Rather, he records the synagogue worship that Jesus engages in. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This passage, I think, helps to fill out the picture of our calling here at St. Andrew's Church, doesn't it? We are to proclaim the kingdom of God, and we are to live it out being concerned for healing, freedom, clarity, hope, and peace for broken hearts, the plight of those less fortunate than us. This is the calling. My question is, how will the world know that we are doing this? You might respond that it would be obvious if we are indeed living in this manner, and I would agree generally. Yet I'm concerned that at the end of an era in North American culture, we might be living with some blinders on, might not be seeing the full picture. Let's look at our gospel lesson, shall we? Uh, on, if you turn to page 704 in the Pew Bibles, you would find our gospel lesson at Luke chapter 15. This is the text I'd like us to ponder and consider this morning and see if we can see some implications for our Christian witness. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Let's just read that one more time. Make sure you got that, what, what it's saying. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Another translation puts it this way. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming close to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners, they said. He even eats with them. Jesus was making a habit, apparently, out of partying with all the wrong people. It was celebration, make no mistake. It was feasting and it was annoying to certain people in the culture. Those people, the Pharisees and the legal experts, were concerned because of the character of the people Jesus was eating with on a regular basis. One commentator notes that the tax collectors were disliked not just because they were tax collectors, Nobody much likes them in any culture or age. 
But they were disliked because they were collecting money for either Herod or the Romans, or both. Nobody cared for them at all. And if they were in regular contact with Gentiles, some might have considered them also unclean. The other term, sinners, is pretty general. And it's very hard to pin down in terms of what category type of person is being referred to here. One commentator notes that certainly they were people who were regarded by the self-appointed experts as hopelessly irreligious. Out of touch with the demands that God had made on Israel through the law. So to summarize, Jesus was in trouble with the church leaders and experts because he was hanging out with those who were at least in some sense double-minded, making an attempt to serve two masters, Jehovah and Caesar, and because he was hanging out with those that were hopelessly irreligious. Let's see if we can bring this issue into our contemporary context. Who would the legal experts in the Pharisees be? We are tempted to say the leaders of the church, the clergy. And in many cases, I'm afraid, that is true. But in our decentralized American Christian culture, remember that each and every Christian is an expert unto himself and a self-declared interpreter of the scriptures. So we often find that all of us can be Pharisees and legal experts capable capable of making accusations and of being very concerned with who's hanging out with whom and who's out partying with whom. Now, who would we think of in our contemporary context as double-minded folks? I'm afraid that this list could generally be very long and could include most of us from time to time. Let's not excuse ourselves from these categories. We've become very good in the modern world at compartmentalizing our lives so that we don't have to mix the God-minded me of Sundays with the money-minded me or the pleasure-minded me or fill-in-the-blank of the work week or of the Friday and Saturday. But keeping in mind the particular position of the tax collector, the double-minded type of person that fits that position most truly in our contemporary society would have to be pretty serious, a pretty seriously problematic person, someone who shows up to church here and there, but who is obviously living in a way antagonistic to the Christian life. The good news is that the good news, the gospel, is for that person and for us double-minded people too. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, who in our contemporary world are the hopelessly irreligious? Honestly, in California, it's pretty clear. I talk with people in their 20s and 30s all the time who not only just, you know, without a thought say, of course, they're not Christians, but also that they've actually never, ever stepped over the threshold of a church. They've never been in a church building. Of course, we know in other places, Texas, for instance, No one ever says that. It's always, oh no, I'm a Christian and I have a church and it's thus church. But they often just, I have never been to that church more than at their baptism perhaps. So I think 
California qualifies um, as basically most of us around here in our communities are hopelessly irreligious. So essentially Jesus would be hanging out with the seriously problematic Christian who shows up once in a while and with the hopelessly irreligious people in our California culture. Why was he hanging out with those people in first century Palestine? Why would he be hanging out with those people today? Our commentator notes that the three parables in Luke 15 are told because of Jesus' habits of hanging with these people. All three stories, he continues, are ways of saying, this is why we're celebrating. Wouldn't you have a party if it was you? How could you not? In and through them all, we get a wide open window on what Jesus thought he was doing and perhaps on what we ourselves should be doing. You see, Jesus hanging out with these people was all about the gospel. It was about the good news, the reality that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Jesus' message to the hopelessly irreligious, the double-minded, and the leaders and legal experts is all the same. Repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, whichever category you or I might fall into, that's the message for us each and every day. We must fall on our knees every morning with the world, with the church of all ages, in heaven and on earth, and repent of our sin. And we must close the day in the same way. By the way, giving the picture to us that morning prayer, evening prayer, my morning time is yours, my evening time is yours, however much time that is, and the, indi- or the implication is that all the time in between is also yours. God. And I'm going to live out that time in order to redeem that time. Our commentator continues, the point of the parables is clear. This is why there's a party going on. All heaven is having a party. The angels are joining in, and if we don't have one as well, we'll be hopelessly out of tune with God's reality. Jesus literally was partying. He was having a good time with these people because he was announcing that the kingdom was here. In fact, by implication, he was announcing, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. Love itself, the incarnate logos of God, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth to find the lost. That's part of our calling of proclamation and living out of the gospel. To find the lost. To love them into the community of Jesus. Whether they are hopelessly irreligious, double-minded, or legal experts and leaders. Everyone is invited to the party. Our commentator asks an interesting question of the church in regards to this text. The real challenge of these parables for today's church is... What would we have to do in in the visible public world if we were to make people ask the questions to which stories like these are the answers? What might today's Christians do that would make people ask, why are you doing something like that? And give us the chance to tell stories about finding something that was lost. 
My question is connected. Are we loving the world, our neighbors, our community in such a way that other Christians might be concerned in the same way that the leaders and legal experts were concerned? Are we befriending the hopelessly irreligious or are we merely being offended that they don't find our faith very important or convincing? Well, why should they? They haven't been shown thus far by anyone, including Christians, that this Christian faith is so important or so convincing. I think it's time to realize that we no longer live in a Christian society and culture. It's a little shocking to some of us that grew up in one. And it's time to recognize that we have a whole generation or two, particularly out here in the West, that are unconvinced by both modernity and the gospel that was shaped by modernity. Let's proclaim and live out the real gospel of Christ and love all those around us from those next to you in the pews to the ones that would not even know what a pew was except that they saw one in a movie. Let us say with our voices, let us say with our lives, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen.